Hey fam, welcome to the Free Trail Podcast. Of course, I am your loving host, Dylan Bowman, here today with Nick Handel. This has been an episode I've been looking forward to for a very long time. Without exaggeration, Nick is one of the most interesting people in trail running. A few details about his life. He graduated from UCLA when he was 19. He was recognized in Forbes 30 Under 30 while working as a data scientist at Airbnb when he was only 25. He then founded a data-oriented startup called Transform at 28. And then earlier this spring, he sold the business, still only 31 years old. And not coincidentally, after selling his business, Nick then launched into an amazing 2023, not only getting married, but having a hugely successful racing season, culminating a couple of weeks ago with his second victory at the Quad Dipsy, stating the obvious Nick is a truly remarkable person, an outlier in a lot of ways. And it was great to finally get him on the show and learn a little bit more about his story. Nick lives here in the Bay Area. So naturally, because we're neighbors, Nick came over this past weekend. We went for a 90-minute run and then sat down for this 90-minute podcast from the comforts of my recording studio here in my garage, the rare in-person episode, which is always just a way more enjoyable way to conduct these conversations. And I hope it shines through in today's show. We talk about his formative years, his education, professional background, 30 under 30, his entrepreneurial journey, developing in leadership and team building, selling his business, the breakthrough 2023 season, and a lot more. It's a great discussion, and I hope you all enjoy it. Before we get to the show, a couple quick things to plug. First, go sign up for the Big Alta, Free Trail's brand new race event happening here in beautiful Marin County, California. Of course, done in collaboration with our dear friends and great partners at Daybreak Racing. The Big Alta will debut for its inaugural edition February 24th and 25th, 2024. Who doesn't want a trip to NorCal in February? A 50K on Saturday, a 28K on Sunday, a free trail after party for the community to celebrate everyone's great finishes on Sunday evening. It's going to be a special weekend and we would love for you to be part of it. An undiscovered gem of an area in Northern Marin where there has never been a race before. It's going to be all time. Go register now at Ultra Sign Up or find the link here in the show notes. Finally, a big thank you to the brands who partner with and support Free Trail. In addition to Speedland, we work with Gnarly Nutrition and Ketone IQ. So make sure you visit the show notes to find links and discount codes to apply to these great products. Thanks everybody for listening. Hope you guys enjoy the episode. The Free Trail Podcast is presented by the brand new GS Oak from Speedland, the fifth footwear commission from the world's coolest brand. The GS Oak was designed in collaboration with Speedland athlete Liam Lonsdale and also in collaboration with fellow independent running brand Path Projects. The GS Oak features all the great Speedland design considerations you know and love. Double boa fit system, proprietary drop-in midsole, removable carbon plate, 100% beaded HTPU external midsole, Michelin outsole, and all the trademark Speedland quality and durability to help you dominate your local trails. The gorgeous pink, purple, and black colorway might be 
my favorite yet. The GS Oak is made in extremely limited quantities and I can't emphasize that enough. We do anticipate selling out, so get on it now. Pre-order is open at runspeedland.com with delivery scheduled in late December, just in time for Christmas. Runspeedland.com, use code FREETRAIL10 for 10% off your purchase. Nick Handel, welcome to Free Trail HQ, buddy. Nice to see you. It's good to see you. Thanks we for having ju- me. We just had a 90-minute pre-podcast podcast. Maybe tell our listeners what we just got up to. Yeah, we just we, we did some course recon on the Big Alta, which is my first race <laughs> of the year next year. Hell yeah. Maybe um, uh, maybe give us a, a quick uh, commercial for the Big Alta. The Big Alta. I mean, incredible <laughs> views. Um some some real real steep grades some uh, uh i'm excited about the like combination of uh fire roads and like pretty pretty like complicated like you know neighborhood like cut off type yeah. trails so it's gonna be a good way to start the season buddy and uh you're just finishing what was an amazing season we're gonna talk all about it you just told me that this is your first non-data related podcast. Yeah. I feel like you're probably one of the most interesting people in the sport. So (laughs) it feels like we're probably going to go long here, even though we did just have a 90 minute pre-podcast conversation. (laughs) So Nick Handel, my first question, as usual, what makes you, you? Um, okay. So I was kind of, I was working that question around because I listened to a few podcasts, um, thinking about it. And, uh, and I ended up asking my dad and he basically said the same thing as, as what I was thinking. So it must be, it must be that. Um, and it's kind of just that I, I choose things and then I go like all in, but like way more all in than most people would think is like a reasonable amount of all in. Um, and you know, I've done that in a few, few different times in my life and, you know, maybe we'll go into some of those, but, um, yeah, I, I choose something and I just get excited about it and like to the point of like obsession and then I just, I just do it. I try to do it. Even if people tell me <laughs> Simple pretty much that. continuously yeah. like, Hey, that's a, that's a bad idea. Like that's, that's like not a reasonable goal. Like that's too, too much, too, too ridiculous. So that's what makes you, you. Yeah. Well, Perfect segue. I wanted to start with your education. I learned that you graduated from UCLA when you were only 19 years old. So this is probably an exhibition of what you just described. Yeah, Getting for sure. excited about something and going all in. Tell that story. How did you end up graduating at the time that most people are just settling into university? Yeah, it kind of, it honestly started with, um, with basically me deciding that I was going to do something. My parents told me that's probably not the best idea, but like you know, it's up to you. It's your life. Um, and that was, you know, basically just, um, I was homeschooled for one year and then I skipped a grade, uh, when I kind of came out of homeschooling, when I was homeschooled, um, I basically, I was going to a great charter school, uh, in, in Tahoe. I'd, so I, um, was born in the Bay area, then, uh, moved to, to Tahoe when I was eight and was going to this amazing charter school. Um, it got closed down, unfortunately, and so my parents didn't want to send me uh, to uh, another school in Truckee that I was I was going to go to, and so they ended up homeschooling me for a year. And then when I uh, 
finished that year, I was like, I do not want to be homeschooled. Like I like people. I like leaving the house. I like, you know, I like hanging out with more people than my parents. Um, and yeah. And so just decided I was going to skip a grade when I came out of that. And it was this super weird year where uh, we actually moved to Arizona and, um, I was doing like English in seventh grade and history in seventh grade and science and, uh, like, I can't remember what else in, in eighth grade. And then I was walking over to a high school nearby to go and do math and Spanish. Mm. Um, and that was, that was rough. Like I didn't know what grade I was in. I was in a new place. Um, but anyways, just decided I was like, I'm gonna be a ninth grader next year. And so I just like, that was, was supposed to be in seventh grade that year, skip straight to ninth. Um, and then when I went to college, I, you know, I, I came in with some credits and I was just like doing like double course loads, just trying to like push. I don't know why. why yeah. Why though? Were you, were <laughs> I mean, you studying I mean, I something that was really with, compelling to you? Well, yeah. So I studied math and, um, I think that I was like, and I still am to some extent. Um, but I like decide I want to do something and, uh, it's just like, oftentimes I just kind of like live my life like a, you know, formula one driver, like rounding corners as fast as possible. Yeah. Um, and yeah. And so that, that led to just me, uh, graduating in like two and a half years and, um, and a bit of me like wanted to go and work. Like I was, I really liked college. It was really fun. I have incredible friends, met my wife, like, you know, so many great, great things. Um, but ultimately I just, I was excited about like the next thing. You were ready you know? for the big leagues. Yeah. yeah. When we were running, building off this formula one driver metaphor, but when we were running, you said something to the effect of discipline is a double-edged sword. Oh yeah. Say more about that. I've kind of like known it, you know, just in like all of these endeavors, it's just, um, you want to push, you want to be the best, right? Like we all feel that. Um, and so, you know, you have to have discipline, right. To accomplish these things. And so you set the, these goals. And then, you know, for me, when I was, you know, 19 and trying to graduate, like that was, you know, panic attacks or something like that. It's like, it's like I would push too far because I, I had the discipline to do it for some period of time, but then, um, and so there's a lot of learning there around like taking on too much and, uh, like trying to, trying to do things to a point where it's actually like not able to do them well. Um, and I think that has been, that's kind of been like the story of, I don't know, like the last, like 15 years is trying to figure out like, where is the edge? You know, like how, how hard can you take the quarter before the car just like slides off? Yeah. So, uh, well, we'll yeah. talk about whether you've found the edge at certain points no. in your life and your career. No. <laughs> okay, great. Still learning. Were you always good at school? Like, was that your thing growing up? Because you're such a good athlete now. And when you think about growing up, right, there's like jocks and nerds, right? And yeah. there's, it's rare to have somebody sort of in the center of the Venn diagram. Where did you draw your social affirmation and where was your motivation? Were you a sporty kid? Um, so, okay. So being in, in, uh, Truckee, I, and, and, you know, running and, um, was not like, I wasn't, I wasn't a runner when I was in middle school. Um, I didn't, you know, I didn't even think about that. Mm. 
but I did it all the time. I ran through the woods constantly. Like my backyard was national forest. So I would go and explore and have like, you know, a blast out there. Uh, And I would move over, you know, reasonable distances, like not, you know, huge distance. I wasn't like, it didn't have like a Killian, you know, uh, a childhood. (laughs) Crossing the Pyrenees when you're nine years old. Um, But, you know, like we like, my friends and I, like we played like, you know, paintball in the woods. And so we were running around and like doing that kind of stuff. Um, And when I moved to Arizona, I didn't really have a sport and I didn't really have like anything that and also skiing, like lots of skiing growing up just because, you know, super fun and, you know, kids rile each other up on the on the alpine slopes. Um, but when I moved to Arizona, I didn't really have uh, any sport. And so I, um, my parents got an elliptical and I uh, had no idea what I was doing. So I just started, I just started using the elliptical every day because I felt myself like losing health, like losing fitness, you know, mm-hmm. and I like saw that as, I think I was like, 12 or th- yeah, probably 12 or 13. Really? Like, you had that sort of self-awareness? Well, just that like, time? you know, like, yeah. And it's, you know, just, um, that I, I just didn't feel as healthy. And I think it was cause I, my play went from being in like the forest to video games and, you know, um, and so I think, uh, this, it like explains a lot about me. So, the way that I got into running originally was like, my parents got this elliptical and I used it a hundred days in a row. <laughs> it's like, I, I didn't run outside. Like I didn't even know that I could. And also in Arizona, like, you know, we moved in like August, yeah. you know, for the school year and you don't want to run outside. I mean, you, you can, but not too far. Um, and so I did that for like a hundred days. And um, I remember like the first time, I got the machine to say that I burned a thousand calories and I yeah. was like, nice. Yeah. You know, I was like, um, so it was like just trying, I had no idea what I was doing, but, um, started running outside after that when I was like, okay, I hit a hundred days. I don't have to use this thing anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah. So, but you were mostly motivated by academic pursuits. Yeah. Election. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was like me trying to stay healthy. Um, I was always like, I was never honestly like not an amazing student. Like I was good. I was good, but like, you know, I would get like A minuses and B pluses and stuff. I was not like Really? Yeah. I was not just, you know, A pluses across the board, like skipping grades and finishing college at nineteen. That's the thing is, you know, you just you just need passing grades. So <laughs> <laughs> um and I would I would try my best, but I'm not like I'm not a great test taker and mm. um and you know, I think in some ways that's kind of similar to running for me. Like I'm, you know, I didn't, uh, I didn't break a five minute mile until like my very, very senior year. Yeah. And I didn't even do it in a meet. Like I did it in, in just like training, Yeah, you know, um, just like a personal challenge. Cause I, I wanted to. Um, and so I was not, I was definitely not the fastest kid on my team, you know? So I guess what I'm trying to get at is where this hyper ambition comes from is there anything from you know your childhood or relationship with your family or something that made you such a go-getter because obviously we're going to get into some of the things that you have achieved both as an athlete and in your professional life but I think that it's just like (laughs) as somebody who doesn't know you super well but we have tons of mutual friends like your reputation always precedes you everything everybody thinks very highly of you not only as an athlete but 
everything that you've achieved in life. And we've now spent the first 10 minutes talking about the fact that you are a Formula One driver, metaphorically. I'm wondering if you've identified what made you that way. What's the nature versus nurture of that? I don't, you know, honestly, it's like, you just, you have one life, like, you know, why not, um, why not be like crazy passionate about the things you do and just, uh, try to make the most of it. And, you know, I, I think that there, everything, um, there's like a different thing that drives everything that I, you know, mm -hmm. um, and like, we can talk about what drives like running now, but it's, it's like, I was injured for a bunch of years. Mm -hmm. And so I like kind of lost it and I realized what it meant to me. And, um, you know, that's, I don't think that there's anything in particular besides just like generally wanting to get the most out of life. Yeah. You know, I reached out to a couple of our mutual friends just to get some ideas of things to talk about. And one of the themes that came up is that you are very close with your family. And I know that yeah. your brother is like sort of your best buddy too. Yeah, and totally. you guys share a lot. Talk about the significance of family in your life and maybe how they've led to the success you've, you've experienced. Yeah. I mean, my parents were always super supportive, like, um, you know, and they still are like, uh, and it's, it's honestly, it's supportive of whatever I want to do. Um, it's, you know, when I was skipping a grade, my parents said, ah, oh, probably not a great idea. Like, you know, it'll be easier if you just, if you just like stay in the current grade, um, you'll probably get a more complete education. Um, and I just said, nope, that's not, that's not what I want to do. And then they immediately like flip a switch and said, oh, okay, well then that's what we want for you. Like, um, so they've always just been incredibly supportive. Um, and even now, you know, in all the things that I do, um, they're super involved, whether it's running or work or I don't know, like building a gym in my garage. Like, I don't know, my dad's there, like <laughs> helping me find studs in the wall. Yeah. Um, the so, ultimate dad responsibility. Though, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Help with construction projects. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, um, you know, my brother and I, like we were, uh, close growing up, but um, maybe this is the thing that drives me is being a little brother. I'm not really sure. Really? You know, <laughs> a little bit, like, I don't know. I'm a very competitive person. Yeah. And so, and he's, he's also like competitive, but in his own way. Oh. And, um, and like, I'd be competing on things that he wasn't competing on, you know, like, you know, uh, we graduated together, for example, uh, from, from UCLA, which right. is like so much fun. And he's a couple of years older than he's, you. yeah, two years older. Yeah. Um, and he was like, he was like, I loved college. <laughs> I would have had another year if I could. <laughs> and I was like, you know, so, um, but yeah, he, he started running. Uh, he, so was not a runner. Um, and it would like every once in a while say like, ah, oh, maybe I'll sign up for like a, a, like half marathon or something like that. And then like would do it or, and then stop. And, um, but then a year and a half ago, he just decided he wanted to start running. And so, uh, we've been, We've been like really close, honestly, since uh, probably like post-college, you know, we were like close in college as in close in proximity because we were both at the same school um, and we would like see each other and, you know, support each other in, in little ways. But now it's like, uh, yeah, best buds. Um, I think running is fun because it was something that I started doing and then he kind of saw how much, how great it is, yeah. right? Uh, both like you know, for your health, but all your mental well-being, and just like the social, the community, like it's it's got so many different dimensions that uh, are exciting. Um, and so, 
just did his first ultra quad dipsy, which was like huge. So was, you guys got to see each other multiple times. Yeah. Running um, back and forth, um, you know, giving, giving high fives and yelling and like, um, I think maybe you saw this on the, the mammoth trail fest, uh, live, live stream, but like when he like cheers, he cheers. He's enthusiastic. <laughs> I his, yeah. I think his like yells came through on the live stream. 100%, like, yeah. like, you know, and that was, that was like, 50 meters away from like the nearest microphone yeah. and they're just like yelling. Uh, and, uh, and that was just him rooting for me during the 50 K and, um, and he was like doing that during the quad. And so, um, yeah, he's just, he's got like, he's got the stoke for yeah. this sport. What a great sure. thing to share. Yeah. So you mentioned to me while we were running, I'm not sure if you've mentioned it now here while we were recording that you did spend some time here in the Bay area when you were growing up spent some time obviously up in Tahoe too. Knowing what I know about you now, I wondered like to what extent growing up in Northern California exposed you to Silicon Valley and that whole space, just kind of knowing where your career ended up going. Was that something that you saw yourself doing from a young age? Honestly, I don't think so. Um, like I think it was around me, but I didn't realize it, you know? Um, and in, in some ways, like, yes, like it had an influence. Um, like, you know, we had a Mac when I was really little, right? Like when I was like four years old, I was messing around on like a Mac, mm. right? Like, um, and, and, you know, we had neighbors and, you know, friends like, uh, who were somehow involved in like tech in Silicon Valley. Right. Um, and I was in like Mountain View, so. Uh, south of San Francisco. Um, and then my dad was an entrepreneur. Uh, he he um, ran an event rental business uh, out of uh, the South Bay. So, um, you know, I think definitely entrepreneurship and like business was uh, something that I, I thought about a lot, but I don't know if it was it, like tech specifically. Um, and honestly, even out of college, like, I just, I studied math because I didn't know what I wanted to do. I figured like it's math is like a universal language. You sure. know, it's like that, you know, it was like, I was just trying to study something foundational, like, you know, philosophy or English or <laughs> like something so basic that I could like, you know, go and do whatever I wanted with it. Um, and started off doing like uh, economic research and stuff and then realized I like data and that is what brought me into tech. So, so maybe go a little bit deeper on that because from what I read, you spent a couple of years at BlackRock before yeah. moving to Airbnb, which I know is sort of a transformational part of your career, at least from what I've read online. Yeah. What, what was it? Were you feeling just more comfortable in that culture and that environment and the tech startup space than you were in traditional finance? Yeah. So I started off, um, I was working on this team. It was like a research team. So it was a bunch of really like, you know, and they hired me because I did uh, math and could program and like, um, and just kind of like taught myself programming. Um, there was some like computer science stuff related with the math uh, degree. And um, it was really interesting. I was working on like building trading signals for, for so BlackRock's a big asset manager, right? Like biggest, the biggest asset manager. Huge. Um, Huge. Trillions under like everyone who, who has a retirement, you know, is probably somehow investing via like, you know, uh, BlackRock. And so 
Um, so yeah, so I joined, it was really fun. And I think that the thing I realized was like, it was not the fastest moving space and probably for good reason, you know, like you don't really want your like investment manager moving, you know, fast and loose. Like, sure. Yeah. Um, and I think that that, especially early on in my career, I wanted just like signal, like, was I doing useful things? Was I, you know, creating something and, um, the move from let's try and like make, you know, do some like econ research and make signals that allow us to trade over like the next, you know, five years, the next decade, like, um, moving from there to go to Airbnb where I could just do data analysis on like, you know, some like part of their product and we could change it tomorrow and then get data the next day. Cause there are so many users and like the feedback loops of, am I asking interesting questions? There was an like, abundance of signal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And Very so interesting. I just learned, I like the velocity of learning was so much higher for me. Um, and then also just being surrounded with, incredibly smart people like so many smart people wanted to um go work at that company and just like build interesting technology um and i think it is like a big part of what made it successful um so getting to be around those people which ultimately led to like the rest of my career yeah. so and we'll yeah. talk about that in a sec i'd love to hear you talk about the 30 under 30 thing because obviously that's sort of a unique detail in a person's life. It may feel small and insignificant to you, but to me, it's like, holy smokes, like what a recognition that is of some innate talent or hard work. What did you do to sort of justify that recognition? And how did it sort of make you feel? Was it validation that you're on the right path? I don't know. Um, it's, you know, 30, like it was kind of, you were like 25, weren't you? Yeah. I was like, yeah. Yeah, something like that. Um, and it would, I mean, it's definitely validation, like, but, um, but I don't know that it's, I don't know that it's, it wasn't like huge validation, I guess. It was, it was like, um, so I was, ba I was basically uh, uh, just doing product work for Airbnb's machine learning infrastructure. And uh, somebody nominated me and then somebody from like, Forbes like came and asked me some questions and I had to do like media training for it. <laughs> and it was like, um, they, you know, the Airbnb didn't want me to embarrass them. Yeah. Uh, it's and, getting you like, warmed up for this podcast years later. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yeah. And it was, I mean, it was, it was definitely an, an honor. Like it, it would felt like a, you know, a very nice, uh, thing for somebody to like acknowledge you in that way. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I don't know that I like, I feel like I, I get more validation from like the, the like stuff I've built or like yeah. the, you know, like the, but it is a signal like worked with as somebody who is drawn to signal. Yeah. It must've felt like pretty satisfying and a signal that your contributions professionally yeah. were being noticed and they were valuable to the team. Yeah, for sure. I definitely, I definitely felt that. And like people, people were really nice about it and like, you know, celebrated it. And, um, yeah. So as we move towards talking about transform, I know that you met your two co-founders for transform at Airbnb. So I'd love for you to just talk about the importance of that co-founder relationship. What made the partnership successful and, and what about yeah. your co-founders contributed to what ultimately turned into a pretty successful project at transform? 
Yeah, I think, um, so there were like two really important people um, uh, while I was at Airbnb. Um, one of them was just an amazing engineer, Paul. Um, and the other one was somebody who was like really instrumental in my career and my, my like personal growth, James. Um, and so I always had in the back of my mind that like, at the very least, I was going to go and talk to them about, you know, what I was doing next. Like we stayed in touch, right? Um, James specifically helped me move from being a data scientist to being a product manager um, and helped me move into that role where I was working on machine learning, um, which ultimately was so fascinating and like led to the, the 30 under 30 and just, um, you know, it was like a really important transition and I'm, I'm still doing product work. Uh, so it's like, ultimately it, it led to um, moving to like a, a type of work that I was really excited about. Does that just mean that you went from being in the weeds searching for signal to being more in a leadership position? Kind of. It's like, it's not like a, um, so product management is like effectively working with software engineers, designers, data people, customers, um, like all of the different parts of a company to try and make sure to try and release something that like people care about, try and like produce a product that solves a problem. Um, and you know, ultimately like, uh, is, you know, something that you can build a business around and, and like be sustainable. Right. Um, and so it meant that I, I moved from like doing analysis to uh, consuming analysis. And I still did, did a ton of my own analysis because like I knew how and had questions um, to like, you know, getting to, to work with people to decide what are we going to build and why does it matter and how does it solve the problem for, for the customer. Um, and so it's a really fascinating piece of work because it just, it like, it's, it's, Truly, like, you are just, like, water. You, like, flow into all the cracks on a team and try and, like, bring it all together to be something cohesive that is, like, valuable. Yeah. Um, and so it's a really fun role. And it's a really hard role to get into. And so, um, yeah, so James helped me with that and uh, was my manager, actually, at Airbnb. And so I started thinking about the idea of doing this company, and it was, it was based on a lot of work that uh, we had done at Airbnb. And, um, and I just, I, so I went over and I was like, I want your feedback, you know, I want to talk to you. And I, I didn't think he would join me. Cause like, I don't know, he's, he's so experienced, like, um, led a big team at Airbnb. And, um, I just like got him in the right moment where he had just had his third kid and he was like, I don't know. He was like feeling that's the right moment. Yeah. To go <laughs> like to a new fully startup. broken down, fully broken down. <laughs> just like settle into a cushy job yeah. at Airbnb. Sounds like the yeah. right thing to do with three kids. Um, yeah. And like, yeah, I think I definitely didn't want to settle into like anything cushy. Um, I, I still don't. Like yeah. it's, I, it doesn't make me like happy, you know? Um, hmm. And I think he, you know, we both, I think naively, like you, nobody knows what, entrepreneurship involves until you do it right like that's you, all we you, talked we, about this we morning. can flip yeah. this interview if you want <laughs> um but yeah it, and so we we just decided to um we decided to start exploring the idea together and you know went from that walk to like let's do some brainstorming like let's meet up and just like whiteboard and um talk about what we could build and it just got more and more real you know and like um my parents were always supportive of it, but I remember 
my dad asking like at some point, like really early on, like a month or two, two months into this, like, like, you know, like, are you thinking about looking for a job or anything like that? It's like, no, I'm going to try and do this. <laughs> well, you're probably 27 or 28 at this time. So you're still yeah. remarkably young to be thinking about yeah. doing a sort of a venture back data analysis. Company. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And um, like, I mean, you know, some people who start companies are like, 19 and dropping out of college right. and a lot, most other people are like, you know, in their thirties and like have experience doing stuff. <laughs> yeah. And so I was kind of like right in between. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but I think because I got started earlier, I was like, I've had had more time to like, you know, learn than most people who are 27. This episode is brought to you by Ketone IQ. I am not joking when I say Ketone IQ has changed the Bowman household for the better. My wife Harmony and I started testing this product earlier in 2023 and it has become a subject of almost daily conversation. The thing that is amazing is how helpful it is across both sport and especially lifestyle applications. I take a shot before all my workouts and long runs and definitely feel a deeper level of endurance energy and especially mental focus though i have nothing but my own subjective experience to back this up i have a hypothesis that it actually makes me a little bit mentally tougher which i absolutely need right now similarly ketone iq has really helped me to cut back on my caffeine intake while increasing focus and clarity during my long work days it's like you got the mental energy of coffee without the inevitable come down or caffeine crash. Ketone IQ has been a legitimate game changer. We couldn't recommend it enough. Visit hvmn.com forward slash free trail 30 to get 30% off your first subscription. hvmn.com forward slash free trail 30. Okay. So again, you've never been on a podcast. It's not a data podcast. Yeah. It feels like we're talking only about data here, but I'm totally... Uh, interested and fascinated about this. I have to admit, I read all of your Medium posts and I could barely understand a single <laughs> sentence. So if you could please package what Transform was, yeah. wh what it does, and you know, do it in a way that dumb podcasters can understand. <laughs> I'm like almost a full year after the acquisition, I still struggle to explain <laughs> what this company does. Um, okay, so... The gist of it is, and I, I actually think that we'll see, we'll see if I'm, I've gotten to a place where it actually makes sense. But, um, so it's called the like piece, the niche piece of technology is called a semantic layer and it's existed for a long time in the world of data. And like, there are companies in the past, um, who have like built versions of this, but the very like short explanation of what it does is it maps data to language. And so, um, and, you know, semantics, right? Like, that's what semantics are. It's, it's like meaning. And so the gist of it is, is that, you know, people, people who, like, have data and need to do analysis on data, um, they form these, like, meaningful, uh, like, objects. Like, you know, a user, a customer, like, a purchase. Like, um, just basically, like, nouns and verbs and then, like, adjectives, like, you know, this customer purchased this item at this store and, you know, this store was like, had this sale running at this time. That's mm. all just like language that explains how the world is like working. Right. Okay. Oh. And so I'm, I, I'm tracking, tracking. Nice. <laughs> um, and so like, you know, databases are 
complicated to interact with. And there's a lot of like nuance to asking these types of questions. And so honestly, the thing that made me really, really excited, like actually really excited about this is that if you could map, um, if you could map language to data and like make it much easier to just ask data questions without having to go and like write programming languages to like pull the data out of the warehouse and do analysis, um, then, you know, if I could just ask like, what is revenue by store over the last like three weeks? Mm -hmm. It's like, that's a totally reasonable question for somebody who's, you know, operating a business to like want to ask. Um, then you could broaden who can actually use data and data is very powerful. So it just like surfaces the signal a little bit. Yeah. Easier. Yeah. It just makes it easier to like interact with the database. Yeah. And so the, like the, the mission of, of the company and like the thing that I'm still working on is, um, how do you just empower people to use data more? Because it's a really powerful thing to be able to use data to reinforce, you know, whatever you're trying to like, whatever point you're trying to whatever make. Whatever you're trying to optimize right? for. Um, All right, you got to give me some data consultation on free trail at some point. Let's do it. <laughs> All right, let's, you know, now that we've set so much context here and thanks for entertaining me, really, really interesting. One of the things I'd love to talk about is leadership and it's interesting that you said that James was your manager at Airbnb. What made it that you were the CEO of Transform and not James? I mean, he's he he was my coach in a lot of ways, like my professional coach, and um, that was still true. Like he trusted me to do the job that I was doing, which was to like, you know. And he recruited people and I recruited people and like he inspired people and I inspired people. So I didn't do any, any of these things alone. Um, but he trusted me to do that job. And, um, and, but like, you know, did I ever like manage James? Like probably not. Like, <laughs> okay. You know, like, like in some ways I did, in some ways he managed not me. Not giving like him in, the annual but, review with hard feedback. No, we did, stuff. we yeah. did. But like, it was multi-directional, you know, like, um, Copy, and I think that yeah. that's honestly, like, that's probably a good thing for two, two entrepreneurs, like working at a company, um, to like have that level of communication. Of, yeah. Communication and like trust. And, so how did your aptitude for leadership evolve during your time at Transform because you were 28 years old, probably much younger than a lot of the people that were working for you. Did you feel comfortable in that leadership position? I felt more and more comfortable over time. Um, I think that the, when I, okay, so when I set out to, to um, start the company, I like had three goals um, and they were in order. And the first one was just to like do right by people, just do the right thing. Um, and, you know, I think, I think you can ask like just about anyone who worked at Transform and they will say that like we did that. Um, and I'm incredibly proud of that. Like there's so many moments where you can make a decision that benefits you or that benefits some small group of people. Um, and, uh, and just like that, level of trust and like just you know care for the people who work for you is ultimately the thing that um i think makes people interested in like joining an entrepreneurial endeavor and because it is risky right and it's like there's so many reasons why you shouldn't join a startup right <laughs> or like an on do entrepreneurship um 
but you know, working with a small group of people you like really trust is the main reason I think yeah. to do it. Um, and then the other thing that is just having to make decisions that will clearly benefit some group of people, but you cannot possibly benefit everyone in every decision. And like all the way down to the acquisition, um, you know, you asked me like, did everyone who worked at Transform join the company that acquired us? And um, like, it's the answer is no. And it it was incredibly hard. And like some people got really great new jobs and it like the whole experience propelled them to like a new and like higher place in their career. Mm. And I think, you know, other people, I don't like, I don't think anyone moved backwards and, and I'm really proud of that. Also, I, I hope that other people agree with that. Yeah. Um, probably not, you know, for me to say, but um, I think that a lot of other people who uh, were on our team, like they just like, didn't get the job that they wanted or like, you know, they, ex if, if transform had grown and stayed independent, like they would have been the head of this. And that was like the big career thing that they wanted. Mm. And so, um, making those decisions is like really hard and like trying to like balance what is like the good for the whole group is like really hard. Yeah. That's even, probably the biggest thing, but I was talking to somebody about this too yesterday about how there's trade-offs to every single decision. You know, yeah. there's never clarity as to what the right path is because you're sacrificing something no matter what. Yeah. So I want to maybe come back to that in a second, but this conversation makes you want to ask you about that team building element too, yeah. because probably when you're in the leadership position, that's probably the most important job of the CEO is to set the culture, bring in the right people and empower them to do their job. Anything you want to say about that and how that responsibility evolved for you during that time? Yeah, I think, um, I think the things that, um, I learned how important it is to like inspire and motivate people because, um, and also to like get the vision out of your head, you know? Um, I, uh, I remember like really early on when I was trying to explain what the heck I was doing, um, like before we even raised money or like we're formally a company. Um, I went and like went on a walk with my wife, uh, in, in Golden Gate Park. And she, uh, she was just like, all right, I don't understand what you're doing. So like, you're going to just keep talking until I understand it. <laughs> like, <I'm gonna laughs> That's what we're doing here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then I'm going to write it down. And I learned more and more like how important it is to like crystallize that. And like, um, because, you know, I, I think that um, everyone has to have the same vision. You know, everyone has to have, be moving in the same direction. And I, I just, there are so many companies out there. There are so many like, places where that's not true. And it's such a dangerous thing for, um, you know, it's, it's, it's like such a risk, right. To like be working at a place that just nobody knows really why they're there. Right. And it's, um, it's just kind of like existing. Yeah. Um, and so I think getting that vision out of your head and allowing other people to like reframe it and send it back to you actually like crystallizes it more for yourself and mm. improves it in a lot of ways. Um, and so I think a lot of that just comes down to like, how do you communicate things? How do you like motivate people? How do you, how do you get everyone aligned around that same motivation? Um, so. Do you know who Jerry Colonna is? No. He's like a iconic VC, East coast VC. I think he yeah. was at union square ventures or something like that. Anyway, he's now like an executive coach. He wrote a really great book 
called Reboot that I read a few years ago. And he talks about crucible moments when you're building businesses. Yeah. And that's sort of what we were talking about this morning. Yeah. I'm sure the listeners would love to hear, you know, knowing that at the end of the day, you probably interpret this as like a successful outcome with Transform. There must have been a few crucible moments. And I'm sure the audience would love to learn a little bit about what was challenging and how you navigated those situations to ultimately see the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. Um, I, okay. So on the like success lock, like absolutely. Like so many people have, you know, exciting new careers. Like um, I was, I mentioned I had three measurements and like the first was people, then product, and then like real like commercial success, like, you know, a, a real sustainable business. And I think we definitely achieved the first two. Like we built a really interesting product. We like did did right by people like the whole time. Uh, every decision I think we made was ultimately like um, at least like good good hearted, yeah. you know. Um, and but like we didn't build like a you know we didn't get to a place where it was a sustainable independent business, right? Yeah. Like that's that's why we had to sell. Yeah. Um, and I'm. And maybe we could have like kept grinding, you know, I, I think about that all the time, but, um, it's successful in some measure, but like, I still just can't wait to do it again because I want to like go further, you know, with everything that I learned. Um, I don't know, crucible moments, like, um, honestly, like probably one of the biggest ones was there was this group of, of people that we hired early on when it went from three founders to we hired a designer and four engineers. We like raised money and then we hired this group. And so it went from like three to eight people really quickly. And um, I think about those people, like that group of people that we hired are just still some of like the best people I've ever worked with. Wow. Um, and, um, you know, I, two of them are still, still working together. Um, another one's like doing their own awesome entrepreneurial like endeavor right now. Um, and so I think that that was, we just like, I think we had a good eye for talent, but I don't know that like it was entirely intentional that we hired such an incredible group mm -hmm. of people early on. Um, because like working with talented people just like propagates out, sure. like talent begets talent. Um, and people really want to work with people who like inspire them. And so that was something that was, I think at a foundational moment, we like maybe luck, who knows, but made some good decisions. And, um, and that like propagated out to just, I think an incredible team. And that's ultimately like one of the reasons why the acquisition made so much sense was just how talented the group of people okay. that we pulled together. Um, and what else? Um, Honestly, I think that was the biggest one. Like that, that I think was, I, well, actually the other one, it was even earlier, um, uh, the, the three of us, so my, my two co-founders and I got together one day and we decided that we wanted to really set like our values in stone early on. Um, and we updated them over time, which was really fun. Cause like the way I see it is like, you get a bunch of people together, they, they all have like some set of values. Each individual person has a set of values. And, um, and so we did this exercise where we each identified each of our individual values yeah. and which was really nice for just understanding each other. Um, 
And then there's like, uh, kind of like a center of mass. There is like a center of all of those values. And so the more so like values. Venn diagram. That, yeah, exactly. Yeah. The more like values that overlap between a group of people, the easier it is for them to like work together. And so you find that center. And then, you know, we said like, okay, the, the center of that is the values of the company that we want to build. And then we would go out and recruit people who had overlap with that center. But gradually over time, that center of mass like moves, right? Um, and so I think setting those values really early on allowed us to really like interview people for overlapping values. Mm -hmm. And that meant that we had a very like intentional culture. Um, and that made it a really fun place to work, which made it easy to like recruit other amazing people who had like shared overlapping values. So I don't know. Those are probably the two, two moments. Yeah. Maybe the, the first one actually is like because of the, the second one that I yeah. said. So. Super interesting. So I want to talk about the actual acquisition here in a second, but maybe to frame things up. 2023 has been a massive year for you. You got married in the spring. You sold your business around that time too. Yeah. You have had the best trail running season of your career, which we'll eventually talk yeah. about. <laughs> How do you view 2023 in the 31-year arc of your lifespan? It feels like a profound year of breakthrough from an outside perspective. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think like, you know, you're talking about recognition earlier. Like, I think that this, like this year was a lot of that recognition, you know? Um, and like, I felt it in a bunch of different ways and maybe it's not like, you know, like a, a like known piece of recognition. Um, but like so much of what I've worked for has has like come into fruition this year. And I was telling you about how like one year ago at this time, we had, I think, just signed the uh, like the uh, intent document for the acquisition. And we were in the process of no, like negotiating the like actual acquisition document, which is where you go from like three pages of like fuzzy language to like 70 pages of bulletproof like lawyer <laughs> <The> language. <laughs> and... And, you know, we were talking about, like, who is going to get job offers. And, like, you know, I I talked about how much I care about the people on our team. Like, that was, like, ripping me apart to just, like... And it was the first time that it was kind of out of my hands. You know, it was, like, somebody else deciding, is this person going to have a job or not? Um, and they were, like, interviewing. And, um, and so, you know, at this time last year, um, like, December of, of 22 was probably like the most stressful moment. I was probably the least healthy I've ever been. I don't know about that, but you know, I was, I was like still running, but I wasn't like, there was no intention in my running. Like that was a, you know, afterthought. Um, and I was, yeah. So it was, it was a tough time. And then the acquisition happened in February, um, is yeah. February 17th, um, and did formidable, <laughs> literally like woke up at 6 a.m like new york time before the market opened to like sign some document really or like yeah to, like, it was like verbally acknowledge it, the acquisition yeah yeah wow like 6 a.m was when it closed like formally and then um and then like did formidable the next day and i like i had no goals no intentions for formidable just like it was just like it was like almost like a signal that like the, it was the shift was happening yeah you know um 
and a victory lap. Yeah, I don't know about that. It was like <laughs> it was a struggle. Um, but but yeah, like it. And then you know, getting married like was just awesome. I, I mentioned I mentioned uh, I mentioned I uh, met my wife in in school and um. So that you know, that was who's also a complete a overachiever. I understand. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I think actually, your words. So frustrating. You uh, and you were doing a Broken Arrow commentary. I can't remember when it was. Maybe it was like twenty-one or something. Uh-huh. Um, but you called her a subtle crusher. Really? And she's still <laughs> <laughs> like, we still, you know, we still joke about that. Um, like, get a tattoo. I, I can't remember what it was. Yeah. She was in like twelfth or you know. She's uh, a great athlete. Both you guys are. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we so we met doing triathlon in college, um, and uh, yeah, and so you know, getting married, like, um, honestly, like, it's a huge moment, but at the same time, like, it's not much of a change, right? Yeah. Like, dude, I was high you know. for six months after I got married. Yeah, totally. My the whole life was just clicking. I was yeah operating in flow state for six months after getting married. I had a great season racing and I totally attribute it to just riding the high. Coming back to the acquisition, I'd love to hear you talk about the emotional element here because I could see it going one of two ways and it was probably mixed emotions, but one way would be like complete elation. We got this deal done. Yeah. It's probably materially changes your life or a feeling of like you're letting go of your baby and there's sadness there what's the mix between those two like i don't even i don't even know that's perfect you said it like <laughs> i don't even know the mix it was like both are so such strong feelings um that that yeah i mean that honestly is the mix like it's it's and it's i don't even know if it's 50 50 or um you know now looking back i'm i'm like very proud of it um but i'm also very excited to like try and start another company and like work with, you know, people, a just small team of people who are excited about doing something, you know, so you crazy person. (laughs) I have a friend, another friend who just recently sold his business. And he told me that his number one priority was to make sure the team landed peacefully within the new organization. Yeah. And I, touched base with our mutual good friend, Drew Holman, before we recorded this, who was your colleague, still your colleague. Yeah, absolutely. And he mentioned the same thing that you've brought up here and that like, when you get committed to something, you are full gas, blinders on, nobody can move with the same intensity. So since we've already touched on that, maybe turn it around because those of us who know Drew well know that he has a similar- Oh my gosh intensity too. Yeah, he's the same. <laughs> I mean, he Drew has more grit than like anyone. Like um this actually I mean it's you know, Drew was feeling that exact same thing. Like um Drew probably did more for the acquisition to like happen uh than like anyone else at Transform. Um and so it was like him and I last December just grinding through it, you know? Um, and like, I think, you know, he, like, obviously like I was the co-founder. So I feel like it, um, like this is a conversation that we have, but like Drew accomplished incredible things this year for the place that he was in, in December going through this with me, you know? And like, 
um, I think that, you know, he, he has like that same grit that you see him like finish a race. Like, you know, nobody at like coming up to like Roby point is like grinding harder than Drew, you know? Um, he put himself in the hospital for days yeah. after Western <laughs> States. Like nobody, nobody, you know, like, I don't know, the, the like video of him puking after uh, the like world championship, like that is, that's Drew. Like, and he does the same thing professionally. Um, and it's, you know, it's interesting, like in the, um, I think like, you know, it's, it's like for our professional work, like it's kind of like a team sport, you yeah. know, like we all depend on each other in, in a way. Um, and he's just like the kind of person you really want to have on your team yeah. because you know that he's going to do it. He's going to inspire you to do it. And like together you can like accomplish incredible things. Yeah. So it's so funny. I view you guys as being very similar and just like being hyper talented professionally, athletically moving with intensity, like we talked about and subtle crushers too, you know, <laughs> like neither of you guys are, it seems, you know, just from my perspective, seeking the spotlight or doing it for anything other than good reasons. Yeah. Um, we've been talking this morning about how much better you feel, how much healthier you feel now yeah. that the acquisition is done. And as we move towards finally talking about your running career, it feels like that's an important thing to fill the audience in on of just like the improvement in your health or the feeling of relief in moving into this new chapter, even yeah. if you do expect to enter the grind at yeah. some point in the future. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, I mean, it's balance, right? It's like, um, I think that when you move, when you like really move with intensity into something, it's really easy to just go to not realize it, but to go further than like it, you know, it actually, um, benefits that thing. Right. And I think that in some ways there are a lot of lessons there, uh, like related to startups where I would probably be more balanced. And I think it would actually like benefit me and benefit other people and like benefit the company and like everything. Um, and like, similarly with running, I'm trying to like keep that in mind right now. Like I'm, I'm trying to build a multi-year long, like campaign of, you know, of crushing. Like that's what I want right yeah, now. Yeah. And so I'm not trying to like burn myself out in one year and see what I can do off of, you know, like eight months of training. Yeah. I'm trying to see what I can do off of, you know, three, four years of like building and uh, navigating around injury and like all of the things that are required to like really like build sustainable health and like fitness. And um, that's like the different biggest difference in approach this year versus like every other time I've tried to like pick up like an athletic pursuit. And that's, you know, we were talking about like growth in how do you like navigate that uh, the like determination being like a double-edged sword. Yeah. Um, you know, that's like the lesson where it's like the determination is actually like, it's still there. Like I still want it. It's just finding ways to make it more sustainable the long term, you know? So it feels to me that if you chose to attack your running with trademark Nick Handle intensity, that you could be among the world's best. You still the the company who acquired Transform yeah. 
you still work there yeah. now and you're, I'm sure focused, like we just said on making the team settle in well and yeah, being totally. successful within a broader organization. But this was a bit of a breakthrough year for you running on the running front. So maybe just from a macro perspective, before we talk about some of the details, is that something that inspires you to like go fully in to running? I think for the, for the same reason that like I didn't stop running when I was, you know, fully in on my company, like, no, because I think that it actually, um, you know, wearing myself down physically and then like using my mind for work. And then is like, I think it makes me a better runner. Like it makes me a better, um, it also makes me better at my work. Like uh, these two things are, you know, when in balance are like productive and healthy. And I think like, but can you be good with balance? I mean, transform. Yeah. There was no balance there, but it was a good successful outcome that I'm sure you'll look back on. Yeah. With a lot of good feelings. If you wanted to be one of the best athletes in the world, there would be similar lack of balance. It's like such a good question. And, uh, I hope I'm right that I can have, I can have both, you know, like I work pretty hard right now. I, um, you know, it's not, it's not like it was at transform because, you know, it was like something would happen and I would just be like gone for days to try and like resolve it. Um, and, and that doesn't happen in my, you know, in this, in like my new job, but I do work pretty hard. Um, and I think that people, you know, people around me, like it's all relative, like relative, it's less hard than it was. Um, but, and I do wonder if I, I feel like a lot of, um, the, the, time at transform was like I'd over over rotate on something something bad would happen and I would like do too much I'd spend way too much time stressing about it I would like um I would engage with it in a way that like got like unproductive you know over rotate is the perfect word to use there isn't it yeah yeah and and it's the same with running like I think that if I wasn't doing what I'm doing professionally like that um, like I've had injuries in the past and, um, it's like hard to navigate around them. And I think that the fact that I have this other outlet means that when I feel a pain and I need to take four days off to like, really like settle it down, then I can do that. And then, you know, I'm, I'm like good to go for, another five months before I like have another injury or something like that. And I think that the, you know, the, the old me would have said like, you know, no rest, like no, you know, just keep driving. And then I would get injured and I'd be out for four months. And like, that's not how you build sustainable fitness. Like, you know, those, those injuries set you back so far. Um, And so for me, this is about like, how do I, how do I keep this sustainable? And a big part of that is like coaching, like, you know, I work with David Roche and like, he's been so supportive in helping me navigate these injuries. Like there are times where I'm like, I just really want to run tomorrow. And he's like, don't, don't do it. <laughs> you know? And so he like was probably a great outlet. sounding board too, during the acquisition process, knowing him in the way that I do and knowing a lot of his athletes, what people love about him is that he does approach the yeah. person holistically. He does understand. Yeah the outside stressors and he's such a cheerleader. Yeah. Was that something that was helpful as you 
navigated so the situation? I actually, so basically, I uh, got married April 1st. Um, he, I, we, so we started working together in April. And um, I remember uh, during our honeymoon, Em and I went on some like cool adventures, some runs. Um, and there was like, uh, I was like going a little longer and I was just like, you know, um, I was running on my own and just thinking and like, I just started like ramping myself up being like, I really want to like get serious about running. Like I really want to do this. And, uh, and I like came back from that, asked Drew like, Hey, can I get an intro to David? <laughs> and so then I started working with him. That was like April of, of this year. Wow. Um, so it wasn't during the acquisition I had, you know, I was bouncing I wasn't bouncing ideas. Yeah, off, yeah, I, I wish I was it. actually, because <laughs> but there have been other moments where like, and you know, still like I'll have a conference where I'm gonna like, you know, I did a conference in October where I had to go, you know, speak in front of like a really large audience, and it was really stressing me out. And just to like have him adjust the training plan for that, um, is like into that being a down week, and that actually that down week like was followed by some like really great up weeks, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so like that kind of stuff is just like, it takes, it takes like a third party view to be able to like decide to do that, you know? Coming back to surfacing data and signal, do you have a similar predisposition with your training? And if so, it'd be fun to hear an example of you with your data, data analysis hat on doing something that, the rest of us would have a hard time understanding it, but that it surfaced something that clarified a realization about your training. If you know what I mean? Like, are you aggregating yeah. as much data as you possibly can and looking for signal in your training too? Ironically, no, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I go by feel. <laughs> wow. So it's like, well, it's not entirely like it's, it is like I wear a Garmin 24 seven. Like I, um, you know, I definitely like collect data. Um, and I look at it, but it's like, it doesn't drive me. Like I don't wear a heart rate monitor pretty much ever. Mm. Like I've just, you know, I, I mentioned I started running after that hundred day stretch when I was like 12. Um, I feel like I've got so many years of like feeling different levels of pushing that I like, I know what zone two feels mm. like. I know what, I know what it feels like when, uh, you know, I'm, fighting an injury or I like didn't sleep well and it's actually impacting me. Like it's, it's all just feeling I'm, um, so Isn't that so strange. It's so ironic that how that's true. running really does help us get in touch with our intuition. The example I like to use is you could think of a route that you've never done before. Yeah. And at least I feel like just from looking at it, maybe even without metrics in terms of distance and vertical, I could probably guess within 10% how long the run would take me to do. Yeah. Just because I have a sense of, yeah, yeah. you know, my own, my own body that yeah. was cultivated over time. It's yeah, it's so cool. This episode is brought to you by Gnarly Nutrition and the Orange Drink, the collaborative drink mix between Free Trail and our good friends at Gnarly. The Orange Drink is a new formula of Gnarly's flagship drink mix, the Fuel 2.0. Loaded with everything you need to keep you well-fueled and well-hydrated, the Orange Drink comes with an increased sodium concentration. You know me. 
self-proclaimed electrolyte evangelist. This Fuel 2.0 formula is my perfect trail elixir. The delicious salted orange flavor is both sweet and salty, the perfect combination to prevent taste fatigue and keep your appetite high, no matter how long you're running. The biggest bonus, Free Trail Signpost logo and my big goofy face are both printed on the packaging. One of the coolest examples of true collaboration in my entire career. Visit gonarly.com, use code FREETRAIL15 on the orange drink or any of their other incredible products, BCAAs, performance greens, protein powders, collagen, creatine, they make it all and I use it all. So go check it out, gonarly.com, use code FREETRAIL15. Okay, so let's talk more about your season. You told me in Mammoth that your two big goals for the year were OCC and breaking Alex Varner's <laughs> <laughs> course record at the Quad Dipsy. Yeah. So maybe we'll we'll talk about those two individually and maybe throw in some other stuff from the other, whatever, seven 50Ks you did this year. Maybe tell us about OCC because to me that felt like a huge breakthrough for you. You had done it in the past. You ran way faster this year, second American, just outside the top 10, you finished 11th, especially given all that you had experienced in 2023. Maybe say a few words about OCC and, you know, whether it fits into this broader interpretation I'm applying to your year and that it felt like a breakthrough. Yeah. Um, I feel like there were so many like learning experiences for me this year. Um, and OCC was probably one of the biggest ones. Um, so yeah, I mean the, like the, the kind of stringer races that I did before, um, was like broken arrow and speed goat and then OCC and <clears throat> broken arrow third and second broken yeah. arrow speed. Yeah. Goat. Yeah. So, I mean, broken arrow, like I was in it the whole time I could, you know, I could see Michelino. I could like, um, like Jeff Mogavero and I were, you know, running side by side, like up to the escarpment, you know, like, or the, uh, not the escarpment, the, uh, the ladder. Mm-hmm. And, um, and like, I was in it, like that was, that was, and that was big for me because that was the first race that I did. So that was like, I didn't have any confidence going there. Like I could have, you know, gotten 10th. I don't know. Like, and I, I had gotten third there before, but it had, you know, it'd been two years and like, some stuff had happened in the last two years. So I wasn't sure where I was. So that was a big confidence booster for me. I felt like that was a really good race. I felt like I like put it all out there. Then speed goat. Um, I think I ran a smart race. I think I ran like a conservative race and, uh, and then it like some nutrition stuff got me. I just, I, um, I was like, I consumed too much salt, got like kind of bloated, just like ended up, puking a lot of liquid after the race yeah. like and uh and I felt it the whole like running down to you know the last like six miles of that race is like all downhill yeah. and just like felt the sloshing you know so um and so I feel like I had really dialed in my like racing strategy which tends to be to like hang back and and push like and to be the one still pushing at the end of the race you know um, and I d- dialed in my nutrition. And so my strategy going into OCC was to run conservatively to like, and, and to push at the end. Um, and, um, 
And so, you know, I was in like 26th place or something. Like people go out wild fast. And um, I was listening to like the, you know, Jeshurun's uh, podcast with you. And like, you know, he was saying like, everyone said to me, like, you have to go out fast. So I did. Um, And I didn't, I did like the opposite. Um, And so I was feeling, I remember like, I have my, my fuel was great. Everything was great. I was like feeling good. And I was just picking people off like all day, you know, every single checkpoint, I'd be like three, four people I, you know, I would catch in, in between there. And so I remember I got to like cold de la bomb and, uh, I think it was in like 16th or 17th place at that point. And, um, I saw, uh, uh, Mike and Leah at the top yeah. and, uh, and they were just yelling and they're like, you look good. And I was, I remember yelling back, like, I feel good. <laughs> and it's like, I should not have felt that good yeah. at that point right. in that race. Um, and so, and so I was still catching people. I like caught more people on the downhill, uh, to, to like the Lafleur climb. And then, um, I think like, I think it was the third fastest person up Lafleur behind nice like Stian. yeah Stian would be hard to beat on and francesco time. like yeah. and it was like i i'd still have to check maybe i was like fourth or fifth i'm not really sure um but i was flying up that climb and like um you know i was i was running with like i was just dropping people like yeah. i was um and just like looking back you know i'm gonna do OCC again next year and looking back, I'm just going to go out way harder. Like, yes. Right. Because I just, I wasn't, I didn't put myself, and you know, my goal was top 10 there. Yeah. Um, and like, you know, the outside goal was like, eh, top five, like, we'll see. Like, um, and I, I mean, I was flying on the downhill too. Like, I just, I had so much in the tank. Like I was, you know, even running through Chamonix, like everyone's flying through Chamonix because yeah. the crowd is so loud. But like, you know, I had the like energy. Um I remember got to the top of La Flagere and they were like, you know, next guy's like two and a half minutes in front of you. And I like had the thought, like I might be able to get them. Yeah. And like, I shouldn't have had that thought at that point. Like if I was two and a half minutes back from yeah. somebody, was, like at that 8K point, downhill yeah, throughout, yeah. at that point it should be like, unless they're like cramping and can't go downhill, yeah. like, you know, I shouldn't have a chance uh, no matter how fast I run. And, um, it's so, so crazy how close the margins are now. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I was, I was five minutes away from sixth place. Right. Like, you know, um, and so I just like, in some way, like, yes, it was, I'm very proud of that race. I, um, like people don't, don't know, like I, I did a lot of races before this year, you know, yeah. and like I've gotten 16th at OCC before. Right. So like, it wasn't that, you know, but although this year was way more competitive, yeah, yeah. like this year was like, uh, really fast. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I, that race, like I've never like wanted more yeah. so badly after a race. So do you look so, back with some regret that like, man, if I only pushed 10% harder in the first 25 K who knows what would have happened? Yeah, I think yeah. so. As a competitive so. person, as a competitive that, person, does that haunt sure. you or is it like, I'm excited to try again? I, yeah. I mean, I think like haunt is one way to put it. I think like it's definitely it's definitely like that is part of the fuel yeah. right now. You know, I, I think a lot about that because that was my A race. You know, I like, I was really tapered. I was really well-trained. I put in like a, you know, big aggressive training block uh, before it. So, um, yeah. Heck yeah. So quad dipsy, let's talk about that quickly too. 
again, that your goal was to break the course record. You were <laughs> a little bit short of that, but you won again for the second time. I think it was your third finish at the yeah. quad. For those who don't know what the quad is, explain it and what significance it's it's held to you and what it was like to sort of put the cherry on top of this amazing season and take yeah. another W in your backyard. I mean, I think it's it's this like it's the race I want to end every season on. Um, because I just I think it's like no matter what happens there, it's just one of the most like personally uh like rewarding races for me. Yeah. So the quad is um, so the Dipsy Trail, one of the most famous and like iconic trails of, of Marin. Um, in the world. In the world, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think it's, you know, the Dipsy Race is the first trail or like the first trail race. I in, think it's the second oldest foot race behind the Boston Marathon. There you go. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's it's like it's got history um, and it's evolved so much over the years and like, you know, with the like shortcuts and like it's such a cool race. Like, yeah. um and so the the quad dipsy is like the continual escalation of the dipsy, you know. So forty years ago, it, it people, I am, um, you know, uh, a crew decided that they were gonna try and do it four times, right, as like a group. Um, and I think the thing that makes it special is that it is a very pure like proving ground for fitness in some ways because it's got like you know, kind of like really open coastal, like semi fire road type, uh, trails. It's got super technical, gnarly rooted, like, you know, uh, trails that go through mirror woods and, um, and then you got the stairs on and you've got stairs. each lap. Yeah. And you've got like, you know, a small road, like <laughs> section, like it's just, it's got a little bit of everything. Um, but the reason why it's like such a proving ground is because you run back and forth. So quad is four, you know, like you're, you go from Mill Valley to Stinson to Mill Valley oh. and then you turn around and you do it again. Right. And so it's, it's this like, it's an incredible place to like prove fitness or to, to like, you know, prove to yourself what you're capable of. Right. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's also like such a community race, you know, like everyone uh, everyone, whether you're racing or not from like the Marin trail running community is like, they're cheering in some form, whether yeah. they just like, it's a holiday for, for the Marin trail running community. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's over Thanksgiving weekend. So like so many people are like home and hanging out and just like, yeah, it's, it's, it's like a real, it's, it's just a real incredible uh, experience. And, um, not only that, but because you're running back and forth, you're seeing the whole race like multiple times. Right. And so the whole time you're just cheering for everyone else doing it. So it's this like massive stoke fest. Everyone is so happy, <laughs> so excited. Um, and so it's just, I don't know, it, it like holds a very special place in my heart. And yeah. I, my real goal in athletics is to do the quad dipsy 25 times. Like Ted Knudsen. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you get, you get like a, they like give you a, a like vest. <laughs> Only 22 to go. Yeah, yeah. Just 22 to go. And, um, but I also think that is like, I was talking about like the sustainability of like my running. Yeah. I think that being able to do a quad dipsy 25 distinct years of your life is like truly an accomplishment. And that's like an accomplishment that I can really, really get behind. Yeah. Not just like running a fast time on some specific course where like, you know, but like to do this, this incredible like community race 25 years is that's like the goal. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> Okay, so we should probably start wrapping up here, but I have a few more things that I can't 
help. I can't resist asking you about maybe coming back to where we started in that when you commit to something, you go all in. I felt like your season in context may be a representation of that too. Running seven, roughly 50K races. I'm just going to tick through results just for context for our listeners. You were sixth at Formidable to start the year. Again, the day that the acquisition closed. So good way to start the year. You were fifth at the Canyons 50K, third at Broken Arrow, second at Speed Goat, first at the Mammoth 50K. And then finished off like we were just talking about first at the quad dipsy. Oh, and I, I missed CCC. I'm just looking at your ultra sign up here. It's not listed. OCC. Yeah. So seven fifty Ks. And to me, that feels like, man, what a representation of like single-minded focus on a single distance. <laughs> what where did that came come from? Like, why did you choose that to be your calendar? Yeah. Um, I just didn't, I think I didn't know what to expect in terms of time this year, like coming off of the last few years and just knowing that I would probably have more time to train. Um, and so 50 K felt really approachable. There's also, um, you know, we didn't, we didn't like get too deep on this, but, um, I was a triathlete in college. I finished college and really wanted to do professional, uh, triathlons and, um, got car doored on my bike hit my hip, um, and like ended up having to get some surgeries and I didn't run for five years. Huh. And so there's this whole, um, so I started trail running when I was 25. Um, so basically was injured from 20 to 25. And in some like ways, I feel like I lost, um, a, this big chunk of like prime athletic years uh -huh. to go and pursue this. And then I think 25 to 27 was like, I was too scared to do really competitive races. Um, and so I did some, I did a bunch of great races, like had a ton of fun, like did the North Face 50K, you know, twice, won it twice, was like, um, but I didn't go out and do OCC. I didn't go out and like- You didn't do the 50 miler at TNF. Yeah. I didn't do the 50 miler at TNF, yeah. exactly. And um, I think it was just like, being a very competitive person, I would, I was scared about jumping into like really competitive races. Cause I, in some ways it was like, I didn't know what I was capable of. So it felt like it could just be disappointing in sure, some ways. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, with, with like transform it, that was me being 27 to like 30, just like sprinting on this other thing. And I, I kind of like came out of the gates this year knowing one, I want to make this really sustainable because I have, I have like a big chunk of like prime athletic years ahead of me and I want to use all of them because I think I, I feel like I missed, uh, some years. Mm -hmm. And, um, so in some ways I'm like kind of making up for that. But why all 50 K's is my point. Yeah. So I feel like, um, I can move up distance in the future. You know, you just wanted to figure this I, distance out. Yeah. 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 Like I wanted to like, dial in nutrition because like, most people a have a broader distribution of yeah, race distances yeah, yeah. <laughs> i wanted to like dial in the ability to run like okay so before this every 50k i'd done i had cramped i had like bonked i had like you know not paced it well um and so you know i still have all of those lessons from this year um but 
I have like a far, like I have like fine tuned my understanding of running that distance. And, you know, in, in some ways, like, I feel like the skill from here to the next distance is going to be like very transferable, mm-hmm. like 50 milers, hundred Ks. Um, and so I wanted to get that dialed in on a, at a distance that like was repeatable. You know, like I can do a 50 K I can recover I can get a block in. I can do another 50K. <laughs> so I could do it over and over and over again this year. And that's like exactly what I did. So. Seven 50Ks in 10 months. It's a great season and remarkable consistency and a great place to build from. Somebody told me that I should ask you about regenerative agriculture oh, yes, and pottery finally. As, we, as we start to <laughs> wind things down here. How many more hours do we have? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe quickly, just just tell us what what fascinates you about regenerative agriculture and pottery, and to what extent it acts as a therapeutic release for you, or to what extent you chase it with immense intensity. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, like this, the unifying piece of all of this is dirt, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like um, you know, gardening and regenerative agriculture and pottery and yeah. like trail running. It's all just dirt. Yeah, man. it is. You know? It's so true. It's like, it? And it, like at our core, we're, you know, dust to dust, we're just dirt. Yeah. So it's like, we're just clay we're just in the clay. process of being formed, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, there's, there's, uh, yeah, there's some, some good stuff but yeah. in there. Um, yeah. So, um, basically like this, I think that this is another example of just me going all out on some, so, we had a, a you know, little backyard at, at an apartment that um, we lived at like a few years ago. And um, we put some, some pots back there and I was like trying to figure out what's the best way for me to just like grow some kale, grow some like stuff back here. Like what is, what is soil? Like why, you know, how do I grow stuff? <laughs> and, um, and my mom, always, like my mom was, had amazing gardens, always like tomatoes, everything growing up. Um, and so I, you know, I learned so much from her, but I would like started to do my own, you know, to do some research and figure it out. And I, I just learned more about regenerative agriculture and um, building healthy like soil. And it just, it hit me um, in so many different ways, how like profound the impact of soil is on the health of like societies, the environment, people in so many different ways, like um, the quality of, of like the food that we eat has declined massively over the last like 50 to a hundred years, um, because of like degradation in soil. Mm. Um, the, you know, the like broad social impact of, um, of basically like the industrialization of our like, uh, agricultural system. Um, the like environmental impact of, of like tillage and nitrogen fertilizers and like um, is profound, like, you know, um, tens of percent of all global CO2 emissions comes from, uh, agricultural practices. Mm. And ultimately soil is the biggest potential sink of carbon that exists. Like good agricultural practices take sun, turn it into carbon that can be sequestered deep down in the soil. Um, and so it's it's like the the broad implications, the environmental, the social, the like nutritional implications are so massive that I just got like very excited about this. <laughs> <laughs> and um and so like, you know, this is like a 
started off as like a COVID, like how do I like grow some food in my backyard? Yes. Kind of now thing. you're 40 books deep and learning. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I mean, you know, I read about like every single night before I go to bed, this is what I'm reading. Like, um, yeah, like 40 plus books, like, and a, a real like amazing, like, um, people and stories in this space. So wow, it's, uh, yes. And also it's, you know, um, I like, I guess one thing that I'll say here is I think um, I said this to to like a lot of people who trail run when you're running around in a forest and you're like looking around at all of these amazing trees, it's just incredible to think that those trees did not come from the ground. Like in small part they did, but the reality is, is that they photosynthesized like CO2 out of the air and like their mass, their like incredible mass above ground comes from the air, doesn't come from the ground. And it's like just profound to like run through a forest <laughs> and think about the fact that wow. these trees are CO2 from the atmosphere, yeah. just getting like turned into these like incredible, beautiful things yeah. that we get to enjoy on trail runs. So Incredible, man. So then maybe one more cliche question before we end with our traditional final question. <laughs> We've talked a lot about your running. We've talked a lot about your entrepreneurship. So the cliche question, of course, is, you know, to what extent your running has informed your success professionally and vice versa, to what extent working on Transform and other things in your life has translated into your athletic success? I mean, it's like huge. It's, yeah. you know, I mean, it's, um, I don't think I was a very confident kid. Like, mm. I think that before I started running, um, you know, I was, I was like pretty introverted, pretty like in my head, pretty, I'm still introverted, but, um, you know, just, um, and I think that running has like increasingly just made me a more confident, like happy person. Um, and it's also, you know, I think like the, the like cliche answer is like endurance, perseverance, you know, but like, it's kind of real. Like when the ability to do hard things like the ability to like, um, both just like the monotonous, like the meditation of running and like the routine and to like get through those kinds of things. Um, but also the, like this, I'm doing a three minute interval and it hurts so bad. And I'm like a minute into it and I've got two full minutes of just like feeling it and the ability to like dissociate in some ways and like just get it done because you know what the outcome yields Mm. um is it's like it's like a superpower you know when you like really feel it and um and i think that it's that is very true in entrepreneurship too it's like that is a very hard like there's a very hard moment and you just know that you have to do something and it's like you don't want to you don't like you know be so much easier to just not do this like go get, you know, go get like a, a job. Somebody will just like, you know, tell you what to do and pay you and like, it's so much easier. Um, but yeah, so I think that that, um, that kind of, I think that that like cliche answer of perseverance and whatever is like real. Um, and it, I think running like does make us all better for it. You know, like we all feel it, we all experience it. Um, I just remember, you know, in the like deepest grind of, of like the company building stuff, just thinking like, I can do this, like this, you know, I've like, I don't like, you know, when you're, 
in like a five hour race when you're like four hours in it's the worst feeling ever it's horrible it's worse you when know? you're like two hours in you know yeah <laughs> yeah okay if you yeah. feel really bad two hours yeah, in yeah. yeah but like that like final grind um and like but you're capable of doing things that you don't think you can do uh-huh. you know like um and like a three minute interval is the same thing right like i couldn't possibly do this for another two minutes yeah but then you do it um and you prove to yourself you can do it and you yeah. prove to yourself and you're just like incrementally proving to yourself more and more that you can do it and in some ways like that's the answer to the, like the 750ks is like just like honed the ability to do that mm. you know um so beautiful answer to a cliche question and you've said here on the podcast and you said while we were out running that you can't wait to do the company building again and <laughs> I said you sick mofo it's, it is it's yeah pure pure masochism <laughs> <laughs> final question for you nick it's been so fun to have you here and chat for such a long time who is one person you admire can be inside or outside of sports living or dead and why do you admire that person um okay i'm gonna i'm gonna answer with an attribute I don't know if that's allowed. Okay, please. Um, uh, it's open to interpretation. But um, I, when, like, I think that the thing that makes life amazing and fun is like people who are deeply passionate about stuff and then share those passions with other people. And the reason why it's like hard to answer any single person is because there are people in so many different spaces where I'm like, that person is so passionate. And like, sometimes I don't even get it. Like, I don't know why you would be so passionate about that thing, but it's like cool to see somebody who's so passionate about what they do and, um, and like are really interested in sharing it, right? Like really interested in bringing other people into their passion, just like explaining it. Um, and I think ultimately like that's what makes life like, you know, spicy and fun and interesting. Like if we all just decided that all we wanted to do is like eat and sleep and, you know, survive. Like, um, it just be like so much less exciting to be alive. Uh, so that's the thing that like, I have so much respect for. It is just such a gift to be passionate about something, isn't it? Yeah. There's a lot of people who don't feel that, you know, they haven't found the thing that really moves their soul in a profound way. Well, dude, a 90 minute pre podcast on big rock Ridge this morning, just chatting it up another 90 minutes here on the regular podcast, three hours of chatting with you. It's been an honor to have you on the show and appreciate you for coming up and making the effort. It's been so awesome. Thanks for having me. Nick handle, ladies and gentlemen. That was a long one, but a really, really fun episode. Hope you all enjoyed. I know I am personally very inspired by Nick and happy he would come on the show to share a little bit more about his remarkable story. If you're new to Nick, make sure you go follow him on Instagram and Strava. I put links to both here in the show notes, so go click through and give him a follow. Free Trail Pro members, as always, drop your feedback in Slack. Let me know what you thought of today's episode. And of course, a big thank you to our sponsors, Speedland, runspeedland.com, use code FREETRAIL10 for 10% off. Gnarly Nutrition, go gnarly.com, use code FREETRAIL15 for 15% off. And HVMN slash Ketone IQ, get 30% off your first subscription of Ketone IQ by visiting hvmn.com forward slash free trail 30. Thanks everybody for listening. Hope you enjoyed the episode. We'll talk to you again very soon. Love you so much. Bye-bye.